Straight from the hip, straight from the heart, with Jim Chapman on 94.9 FM, CHRW. We are back, and joining me in the studio now is uh, Robert Metz. Morning, sir. Morning, Jim. And how are you today? Pretty good. Uh, Bob is... Uh, I just want to check something here on that microphone, Bob. Hmm. Testing one, two, three, four. Is that good? I'll try it again. Testing one, oh, two, yes, three, there four. there you are. There okay, we are. we've got you. We've got okay. you. Good. All right. Um, Bob joins us every Wednesday, often accompanied by Jeff Schlemmer. Jeff is still on holidays, though. He'll be back next week. And we take a look at issues in the news. Uh, when all three of us are here, we call it left, right, and center. When it's just Bob and I, it's probably left and right. I'll ship, slip a little bit to the left and try to pick up some of the slack from... Uh, from uh, Brother Schlemmer, and we'll press on. Here's the story today, Bob, that I want to kick off with. This is a story from Winnipeg where a judge has ruled that Manitoba's anti-smoking law, which is similar to Ontario's anti-smoking mm-hmm. law, applies to native reserves. Uh, apparently several of the reserves uh, uh, close to the big cities, and, not, and perhaps not so close, but close to the big cities, have set up bingo halls uh, in a variety of, uh, or a variety of other sort of enterprises where people can come in, quote, to quote the uh, story I have, smoke their brains out, um, when they cannot do that in uh, any of the regular municipal uh, settings that they could previously. Now, I know that you're not a fan of these kinds of laws, but the fact is that the law, the law is the law in Manitoba, but is the law in Ontario. Um, the, the question now is, seems to be, will this judge's writ run to the reserves? The native leaders are already saying no. Absolutely not. We're going to fight the province. To quote to Terry Nelson, who's the chief of the Rosso River Reserve south of Winnipeg, he said, First Nations have jurisdiction, and that's clear under the Constitution. Uh, Justice Albert Clearwater says that it is clear that an exemption for the reserves is discriminatory. Under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, it violates Section 15, which guarantees all people equal treatment under the law, and he, I quote him saying, "It is every bit a breach of the charter to create offenses for certain conduct by persons and to concurrently exempt Aboriginal persons from prosecution for the same conduct." He went on to say the Manitoba government was wrong to think it does not have jurisdiction over smoking on reserves because they had been prepared to uh, just to let it go. It was an organization of bar owners apparently who. Uh, pushed this along. And now we have uh, at least a, a court of Queen's bench level uh, a ruling on this that says that there will be no smoking in public areas on reserves either. Now, I know that you're opposed to this kind of legislation. Um, I'm going to ask you to set your opposition aside, or perhaps you can, and if not, I'll ask you to explain why. But it, No, it, it has to be set aside. It's a separate issue entirely. Okay. Um, so the smoking we now have, bylaw issue as such. We now have a law in Manitoba and in Ontario that says you cannot smoke, essentially, in most public places, with a couple of very small exceptions. Uh, and they're now saying to the reserves that you're under the same jurisdiction. Uh, is this an appropriate battle to fight? Do we need one more thing to fight with the uh, Aboriginals about? Well... <laughs> I'm going to have to take back almost what I just said. It just shows you h- how ridiculous a situation you get into when you have a bad law to begin with, okay? But given the bad law, you want to apply it equally to everyone, okay? You want to hurt everyone equally, and obviously the bar owners are upset because they know that their business has been hurt by this law. Yes. Clearly, some of their customers are going over to the Native Reserves because there's a lot of things you can do there that you can't do, um, you know, in off the reserve, let's put it that way. Um, so you have an inequality. I mean, the native reserves, their existence themselves is a discriminatory thing. 
uh, and the fact, and the, even the dispute, even the acceptance of a jurisdiction of something like First Nations is a discriminatory thing. So, yeah, we're, we, we've been discriminating with Natives since the beginning, and it's been a two-way street as far as the reserves themselves are concerned. Natives who choose to live off the reserve are treated the same as everybody else. There's no differences there. But it's, so it so, is a jurisdictional issue. But the problem is going to be if... If the judge's ruling stands, and now that'll be appealed, you can count on that. But if his ruling stands, and he says that he says it is very clear that this is a, this is a, a breach of the charter. We we know that across this country, courts have tended to hold the charter sacrosanct. They've even read things into the charter that aren't there relative to uh, same-sex marriage and a variety of other things, where they've said the the spirit of the charter is so strong. We understand so clearly what was intended that we can, uh, you know, we can even in interpret things that aren't literally there. Something that is literally there. How are they going to get around this now? I, I think, Mr. Well, I don't even know how they're going to exercise their authority or their, or, or you know, use force. They can't even do it in Caledonia. And we've got uh, both a premier and a person in opposition who think they don't even have the authority to do such things, when in fact they do, by the way. But uh, nobody wants to act. So is this judge going to be sitting in the same situation as the Ontario uh, Superior Court judge whose action or whose decision wasn't acted upon by anyone? I can't predict because this is such a vague area, and that's, that's the problem to begin with. Do you think that uh, Ontario will move to do anything to uh, control anything here uh, based on this, or would you suspect that... Based on this case in yeah. Manitoba, you mean? Yeah. Um, not particularly. I, I don't even think they want to know about it, really. <laughs> they certainly wouldn't want to relate the two. Um, but, you know, it's it's a shame that you're, that you're sitting in a situation like this in any case, because I'm not sure if the situation's the same in Manitoba. I imagine there are, or are there not, uh, casinos and things like that. I believe there are, yes. Yeah. Well, that's a major issue, too, and that's another discriminatory act that has occurred within the country. Um, so to talk about discrimination in a complete environment of discrimination is a moot point to me. Well, what about people who make the case that the Indians have been discriminated against in a negative sense for many, many years? We've, you and I have talked about this before. They weren't allowed even to, to take their concerns to court till the 1950s. Um, a lot of the land claims that today... That was, uh, I believe, uh, natives who stayed on the reserves because they didn't accept the authority of the courts. A native who'd, who'd moved off the reserve, he could use the courts. But the natives on the reserves, the bands, could not press any claims that they had against the government, even in places where the government clearly... Clear, and we're seeing that now, where the government clearly had broken the law, where the government clearly had abrogated uh, arrangements that they had no right to do. We didn't allow the natives to uh, to take legal issue, and a lawyer could be thrown in jail for accepting well, sure. a case like that. Jim, this country was not known for its uh, racial tolerance in the past for anyone. I mean, we had a prime minister in this country who once said one Jew is too many, okay, and that went down in history. Mm -hmm. um, that's the environment you were in in the past, and I think to compare that environment to today's politically correct environment, which maybe has gone a little too far the other way, is is out of context. You can't really do it. Um, so there's no, there's no way... I mean, Abe, Abe Lincoln was a racist, for heaven's sakes, you know? So Why would you say that? Because he, people look, at, look to him as the creator of the Emancipation Party. Absolutely, but if you read his quotes, and in fact, this was recently done on a radio station recently, um, you'll see that he did not believe that whites and blacks should associate, that uh, the intelligence of the black was inferior to that. Otherwise, all this is in quotes over and over again. The reason that the North emancipated the South was over economics. Uh, you can't have a capitalist country in the North 
uh, competing against a feudal agrarian country in the south that's using literally slave labor to compete. So that was the, the real motivation. I think a lot of people, that's a, an area that uh, a lot of people are a little fuzzy on. Uh, one of the things that helps to clarify that, I think, and I'm not, I've read the stuff about Lincoln, and I'm not here to disparage somebody who I think was a great man, but it's interesting to note that the Emancipation Proclamation was not proclaimed until 1863. Mm-hmm. They were well, well, well into the war before that became an issue. And when I was in school, I don't know when you were in school, we were taught here in Canada that the Civil War was fought to free the slaves. Well, that was the, that's what we were taught, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, that was a side issue. And yes. uh, in many people's minds, not much of an issue until much later in the war. Okay, I want to uh, perhaps come back around where we started, and then we're going to leave this. But the, the, uh, so there's no point here, there's no place, there's no element, there's no room for redress for any sense that, that uh, perhaps we're balancing the slate a little bit by allowing casinos and allowing smoking on reserves and so on, as long as they're only on the reserves. You don't see that as any kind of a useful or worthwhile exercise. Allowing the exemptions, you mean? Yeah. Continuing? Yeah. <clears throat> well, I think... Because every, the every, argument in favor of them is that... Well, one of the arguments well, is we are redressing past wrongs. Yeah, well, to me, if you want equality, you don't want equality of oppression. You want equality of freedom. And so I would rather see the equality spread outside the reserve where everyone else can compete again and then then see what better position they have then, you know. But uh, that's one of the reasons that, uh, you know, why weren't the natives complaining about the smoking bylaws when they were not affecting them, you know. It's the same issue. We're going to pause for just a second. Bob Metz, our guest today on the program, and we'll be back with more right after this. Bob Metz, our guest, regular panelist on Wednesday. Jeff Schlemmer will be back next week, and we'll do a full-scale left, right, and center. Today's sort of left and right. Another issue I want to raise with you, Bob, is a, a, a controversy that has been swirling in the pages of the National Post, if, if perhaps mm-hmm. not too far outside that, but I think an important one, and the implications certainly go far beyond that. One of their columnists wrote a column a week or so ago uh, in which she referred to uh, the potential future of an independent Quebec as the creation of Quebecistan. And she uh, based that on her observations that there had been this so-called peace rally a couple of weeks ago that was attended by many senior uh, Quebec politicians, federal and provincial, at which uh, there was uh, cheers in favor of Hezbollah, which is an outlawed organization in Canada, an illegal organization, terrorist organization, according to the government of Canada, uh, where she said was evidence of the ongoing, uh, continuing, and and, uh, endemic anti-Semitism of the Quebec people. She claimed that Quebec is far more anti-Semitic than the rest of the country always has been. Uh, Since that column, there have been a number of refutations of it, letters to the editor and other articles and so on. And I want to uh, ask you, as an observer, keen observer, I know of the political scene across the country, um, is this an issue at all? Do you think that there's anything to be... It's not... Any point to be made by this? It's a symptom of an issue, uh, definitely. Um... I do believe there's a strong anti-Semitic trend in the whole country, and probably stronger in Quebec for understandable reasons. It has Catholic roots, and even the Catholic Church came out after Israel began its attack during the recent war, saying that they were unjustified in, quote, retaliating in self-defense, actually using the words defense and retaliation in their condemnation of Israel's action, which means morally they have accepted the fact that Israel was not the initiator of the problem. But there are, but there are a lot of Catholics today who would say that's not the Catholic Church today. There's no anti-Semitism in the Catholic Church today. Not, it's never in the. It's not like in the "we want to wipe you out" sense that you, like it used to be, 1600, 1500 in that era. 
it's more of it's it's a competitor two different religions i mean all religions are about uh being different from the other religion really and that's why there's so much dispute and, and everything between them i'm not an organized religion kind of person because to me the the one strand that goes through all of them is some sense of intolerance of anyone who believes something different than they do and you just can't help it i mean from that's why mel gibson was a big issue mm -hmm. not because of what mel gibson said but probably because a lot a lot of people agree with him that's why we have laws in this country against uh, hate uh, websites and stuff not because they care about one or two nut bars on the, on the internet but because they care about care about 50 million nut bars out in the public who might believe them mm -hmm. and go along with them so uh, you know the, the roots of racism come out of a, a collectivist society all all collectivist societies are racist we just talked about abraham lincoln mm -hmm. as the north of the united states became individualist it would not tolerate uh, collectivist concepts, including racism, whether you believed stupid things about people who were just different colors or not, that had nothing to do with it. It was all about how the environment and the market shapes people's concepts of each other. And when you are in a collective society, anybody who's not in your group is perceived as a threat, a competitor. Um, not just on race. This this can be economics too. Teachers have every reason to be afraid of doctors. Because they're both competing for money from the same government, right? So, but they would say that's nonsense. They would say we're not competing. We are competing in the sense that we have the same paymaster, but we perform different functions and different funds should be allocated to each of those functions. True, but each of them will argue that their priorities are the most important, and that's the same kind of quote prejudice and quote you're really seeing on a larger scale with respect to Catholics and Jews and, and whatever else. You okay, know I mean? Uh, uh, it's not like we're not at the war stage yet, but it can lead to it if you allow it to fester. Okay, I've got an interesting quote by Walter Lippmann, who is, mm -hmm. a, is a name that's forgotten by most today, but he was a very influential American writer, uh, a liberal commentator, um, a, the, a man who stood in stark contrast to Noam Chomsky, for example. Who, uh, Lippmann believed that mankind would inevitably, well, I, I don't want to paraphrase too much here, but he believed in the role of, a, of an informed elite to lead effectively, as, in, as, as opposed, I think, to, a, to the informed masses, although he did not discount the informed masses. But in any case, mm -hmm. here's a comment he made about what you're talking about and about why we come together in groups the way we do, or in organizations the way we do. He said, above all the other necessities of human nature, above the satisfaction of any other need, above hunger, love, pleasure, fame, even life itself, what a man most needs is the conviction that he is contained within the discipline of an ordered existence. Do you agree with that? Because that seems to fit in with your theory. Uh, absolutely. That um, well, that's that's a that's a pretty absolute truth. But how that ordered existence comes into being is is a is a whole other issue. Um, if you want to find order in existence, there's only one field you go to, and that's called philosophy. You're not going to find it in anything else. Not in joining one club or another club and saying that you're better than the other guys. You got to find out what actually is the truth what what exists what what is provable what can you go back to and say that actually is real and um, a lot but of people but that to me is the order of, of you but that's an effort in and of itself because it there's sure no is. there's no consensus among philosophers uh, well there's no consensus among certain competing beliefs but a philosopher that decides okay i'm going to go out after what is real not just what i believe and i'm going to take you know like a scientist taking yes. a scientific approach they will arrive at the same conclusions and they always do 
um, just as a scientist or a mathematician, regardless of their personal inclinations, if they're being honest with themselves and not, you know, hiding information they don't want to see. Well, what's or, the, what, what is the ultimate philosophical truth at which they will arrive? Is it what Lippmann said? Well, no, I think it's, it's more than order. I mean, it, it gives you a, a whole sense of purpose and you understand what the order is. You, you can only see order if you choose to see it. If you don't see the order, the world can look pretty chaotic. Um, you, know, you can look up in the sky at night and see all the stars, and a lot of people think there's some intelligent design because it looks so orderly, you know, when really it isn't. It's a totally disorderly place. We just happen to be in a space where there aren't huge uh, novas, you know, but we've exploding. Made it we've made it orderly, though. We have, we have Within our context of society, yes. But, uh, you know, the natural state is disorder, as Stephen Hawking would uh, definitely explain. All right, we don't want to be disorganized <laughs> yeah. here, so we'll pause for these messages. Come right back. More with Bob Metz. Bob Metz in the studio with us today. Uh, Robert, time for one more question. Uh, there's hmm. a, and I mentioned this earlier in the program. There's a, a controversy at City Hall about whether or not people should be able to hook their link their websites, candidates, to the city, whether the city should provide. If you go to the city website, which is there, there's election information, whether you should then be able to click on somebody's name, a candidate, and go to their website and so on. Some people are saying, of course, you should. It's modern. It's technological. It's up-to-date. It's used to the voters. And other people are saying... It is an unfair advantage that voters with more, or candidates with more money already have an unfair advantage. They can buy more signs. They can print more documents. They can buy more radio time. They can do all of those things. And this simply adds to that. Now, other people saying, listen, if you haven't got a website, uh, maybe you're just not up to speed entirely. Maybe you, maybe you should be a prerequisite for run, running, that you're at least that electronically organized. Uh, you're a fellow who follows elections very closely. What do you What do you make of that? I, I'm also a bit of a luddite when it comes to <laughs> online and things. You should hear You should hear some of the debates around the office with me. I, I come in kicking and screaming, but let me tell you, you cannot be in the business of politics or almost in any business without being online. And it is so cheap and so inexpensive to suggest you can't afford it. It's a little outrageous. Uh, the other issue is that municipal candidates are now. But it costs, uh, well, wait a minute, it costs money to create a website. They're not free. Well, you can make one yourself. You can start a blog, which is free. You can start one this in three a, minutes but flat. But this isn't about blogs. This is about websites. Well, a blog and, and a website are, are basically the same thing. I couldn't make one. I don't know how to design a website. Oh, there's software, and there's other people who will help you. If you haven't got one, one person that you know who can, who can work on a website, uh, that's one talent that uh, there's no shortage of, really. Um, but nevertheless, candidates are registered under Elections Ontario, and you will be able to go there to see who the registered candidates are because they now re um, regulate the municipal candidates. Well, but you can see who they are. That's but, a difference between making a, a connection, hooking up to their websites then. So if you go and there's three, three guys running in your ward, and one of them has a website and two of them don't, the argument is that the one with the website is being unfairly benefited by the, by the municipality or Elections Ontario or whomever, providing that automatic Yeah, I, I don't think there should be any sort of legislated necessity of the city to link to anybody's particular website or to distribute their literature or to put them on TV mm -hmm. or to access to any other kind of medium. I mean, that's, that's absurd. That's not the job of the city. That's the job of the candidate. And, I mean, the city doesn't even organize quote, officially, in any way, mm -hmm. uh, all candidates' debates. They're organized by uh, individuals, by groups, and usually with political interests behind them all. Mm -hmm. But uh, nevertheless, they're not organized officially by the city, so I don't even think it's in that purview. Once you get that much uh, municipal government involved, even in the process, uh, democracy is almost out the window. 
because you want to have some kind of freedom to to do things your own way and not have to fit into the shoes that the that the city mandates. You know what I'm saying? Like I do. So, no, and, uh, I, and, and 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 for once I agree with you. Yeah. I, I I don't think they should be doing this at all. I said earlier, perhaps give it another four years and see how much more, how much less. Uh, Ludditeism is out there, and see how much more, how many more people are plugged in and look at it then. But I don't think it's right this time. Robert, the band is playing. That means we're done for today. Thank you, Thanks, as always. Jim. Pleasure to have you by. Join us again tomorrow for the next edition of the Jim Chapman News Hour. Kicks off at 11 o'clock, right here on 94.9 CHRW. And again, we'll take a look at some of the issues of the day, try to make some sense out of them, and give you some food for thought to carry you through the next 24. o'clock tomorrow works for me. In the meantime, it's Jim Chapman saying, please take care of each other, mind how you go, and God bless you. Bye-bye.